Hey, um, so I'm stoked to be here. I'm real stoked to be here. Thanks for having me. We, we are in Lent, um, and I hear Rose framed up Lent for us last week. Um, and I'm really stoked about that, because Lent is often the, um, the novelty season of the Christian calendar. Um, it's, it's both the most solemn time of, of our year, but also pancakes, um, <laughs> and often uh, the extent of our engagement with Lent is giving up the second biscuit after cups of tea in the evening. It kind of feels like the Christian version of the 40-hour famine. Is anyone unaware of the 40-hour famine? <laughs> that's, that's still a thing. Um, uh, it was a big thing when I was, when I was in high school. Um, high schoolers get together, don't eat for 40 hours. My God, <laughs> the stress. So many barley sugars. Um, but get together uh, and, and really, really try to engage with um, this geopolitical problem through barley sugars. Uh, one of my favorite stories, and this is completely tangible for the next but this, is, this warms my heart every time I think about it. Um, when we were in high school, um, there, there was a whole crew of us who did 40 hour famine together like every year. Um, and on a particular year, uh, we, we tried to get together and like do like, I don't know, a big long sleepover weekend with marathon movies and pizza. No, no pizza. Um, but, but just, you know, get through it together, card games, whatever. Um, so we're three hours in. It's like maybe, I don't even know when it starts, midday. Maybe it's like the middle of the afternoon and our friend Ben just goes table flip mode and he's like, I can't do it! And he goes and makes sausages. So, um... <laughs> so, so the 40 hour famine, like, oh, oh, that story just warms my heart. Um, the 40 hour famine is kind of this caricature, right? Like, it, it points to this, like, really big, big problem, but it's, it's, it's really like, I don't know, looking forward to a meal in 40 hours is not really, like, experiencing poverty, right? But what it does is it points at a real problem. It points at this deep geopolitical problem, and it actually does something about it, right? Like, World Vision, through the 40-hour famine, have raised over $80 million in New Zealand over the last 35 years. Like, that is a meaningful impact that has been made. And so when I think about the sausage story, which I often do, (laughs) that's not where my mind Finishes. My mind finishes on a, a deep problem of global injustice and also our capacity for corporate action that has a meaningful impact. Right? So, so this thing that is, that is like trivialized actually stands in, in my experience, for a really big meaningful thing. And I, and I think that Lent um, has become this trivialized thing in, in like Western Christianity, at least in um, evangelical Western Christianity, which is kind of where we find ourselves. And it's time for us to start like digging deeper, like Rose prompted us to, digging deeper because Lent is a microcosm of the way, the life that Jesus calls us to. It, it stands in for a much bigger thing. Um, so we're, we're going to hit uh, three points. Um, I struggle to do three-point sermons, so um, yeah, yeah, we're going to hit three points. It's going to be great. Um, point one, the way has a cost. There is a cost to following the way. Um, point number two, you have to choose the way. There is no nominal option 
living the way of Jesus. You have to choose. And number three, the way actually leads to life. So let's get there. We, we have um, Mark 8, um, 31 to 38. I came to prep this message and I was like, wow, we are going, we're going straight, um, <laughs> straight to the meat of it here. So Jesus is here and Jesus predicts his own death. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man will suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at the disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan. Brutal burn. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation... The Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. My goodness, what a verse. (laughs) So the way has a cost. There's a cost associated with following the way of Jesus. Many of you went to a wedding uh, this weekend. Um, I'm sure it was glorious. We went to a wedding last last weekend um, and... Just these beautiful people surrounded by their friends and family. Like, weddings are very, very special. Um, And what happens at a wedding um, is if you have had a wedding yourself, you will be reminded of your own wedding. Compare and contrast, you know, you're like, much better looking than we were, but it's, it's fine, we still love you. But you're reminded of that time when your family came around you, and for some of them you only just met them, right? But they came together and you joined them together. And you were surrounded by your friends and family. And one thing that kind of struck me over the last week as I've kind of been unpacking this is I have been thinking about my parents' wedding. My parents had a very, very different wedding to me. Um, We got married up at The Rock. (laughs) Um, And uh, we had a reception in central Wellington. um, And all our friends and family were there. And it was this awesome time. And my parents, um, they were married on the mission field in Tanzania. (laughs) Um, So they had not very many of their friends and family around them. Um, There's there's a photo that is seared into my brain um, of my dad. Um, He's wearing like a short sleeve uh, blue shirt, embroidered, but very short sleeve. Um, Probably sweating his... uh, sweating a lot. Um, And... (laughs) And, and he's, got, um, he's got his groomsmen with him. Um, and like I have to imagine that, that those were his, those was the extent of his close friends that were there. Um, and most of their family couldn't fly halfway around the world to a third world country and barely make it in time. Um, they, they just couldn't. So my parents, because of the life they had chosen, bore a cost that I didn't, um, they didn't have many of their friends. Um, my daughter spends a day a week with my parents. 
um, which is so special, right? Because they, they live uh, just up the road now. <laughs> um, and, and so that's such, such a special time, you know? So she spends time and she gets um, spoiled, um, and she gets to know them, and she, she knows their personalities and their quirks. Um, and, and I kind of think back to my childhood, and I probably spent a week or two, maybe three, um, with different grandparents collectively over that time because we weren't on the same continent. Um, so there was another cost of my parents' choice that we were all living into that I didn't get to know my grandparents that well. I still got to see them, and I still love them, and I have these great memories with them, but it's different. I didn't grow up with them. And that probably impacted my grandparents as well. They didn't get those experiences with me. So there's this like real cost to making those choices, to lay down your life, to go and serve. Um, I find it really interesting that Jesus leads with this stuff. You know, like most of us aren't going to be called to be missionaries who like sacrifice time and go fly halfway around the world and, you know, all sorts of things happen out in the mission field. But like most of us will be asked to sacrifice something at some point to follow the way of Jesus. It might be our comfort, it might be our security, it might be our finances, it might be our position in society. Like at some point, the Bible says we are guaranteed to be put in a scenario where choosing Jesus is costly. And I, I find it really, really interesting that the, that the Bible like opens with that stuff. The Bible is really, really upfront. Jesus is saying here, he's like, hey, take up your cross. If you want the life you were intended for, if you want to step into the fullness of your humanity, Jesus says you have to give up the life you have. That's the only way this works, which I find so challenging. You have to choose the way. That's point number two. You have to choose. There's something really interesting going on here in this passage. Jesus is like saying, if you want to follow him, you're going to have to pay a price. In Jesus' culture, carrying a cross wasn't like, wasn't like a hobby. <laughs> there was no like society of cross carriers. Um, they didn't have a Facebook page. Um, if you were carrying a cross, you were under a death sentence. Your life would be over in the next couple of days. So Jesus is being pretty clear here. Like, there is no option. If you want the way, here's what it costs. I find this really challenging. Like, I need to give up my agency. My hard-won options, I have to give them up so I can walk into fullness of life. With Jesus. There's, a, there's a few things that can kind of happen when we're confronted with this reality. Um, we might run away. Um, in John 6, Jesus is teaching his disciples about the way. Um, and he starts pretty philosophical. And everyone's like, yeah, that's good. Yeah, the kingdom, bring it on. Um, and then he starts to get real and he starts to talk about money. Um, and the response is, oh, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Who could possibly accept this teaching? Uh, John six sixty six states bluntly, from this time many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Um, 
theologians who study the, the, the text kind of um, paint this picture that like probably hundreds of his disciples abandoned him because of his teaching. It was getting too real. It was getting too real. We see this offer of true life, but the path is narrow. In order for true life transformation, that opportunity to step into fullness of life, we balk at the requirements and we step off onto the comfortable paths where we make all the decisions and we avoid all the costs. Or we might rebel. We see Peter here. Um, he doesn't go, oh, there's no cost. But he goes, are you sure that's what's required? I don't think that's what's required, Jesus. I still want, I still want on the way, but I want to slightly, if we could just go just, just a little bit to your right, um, maybe we can step around that reality. Um, Peter's scared, right? He is scared that he's going to lose his friend. His mentor. He's scared he's going to lose this new kingdom that Jesus is supposed to be bringing about. He's scared that the Messiah won't free Israel like he believes he should. He might lose his social standing or Jesus. So he refuses to accept the path that God has for Jesus and asks him to choose something else that's easier, like overthrowing the Romans. Something more obvious and more grand. And Jesus calls him Satan, the accuser, the tester, the tempter. He who is thinking about the world and tempting him into thinking about the world rather than thinking about God's plan for his life. That's brutal. (laughs) Lastly, we might opt in, right? We might opt in, eyes open to the cost. Jesus knows exactly what is coming And he's still all in for it. Because he trusts that the Father will use his life to bring life. And that's point number three. The way leads to life. Um, It's pretty easy to judge Peter in retrospect, isn't it? Like, we know it worked out, but he didn't know it was going to work out. Right? He's been traipsing around probably on the bones of his ass with, with Jesus for ages. And he's, been, he's seen some stuff. But, like, he doesn't really know it's going to work out. Peter, Peter and Thomas in particular, they get a real bad rap, right? Jesus died and then he rose again. Peter became the father of the church. But in that moment, Peter, he had no idea if it was going to work out. And it's kind of the same for us, right? We face... The same decisions the disciples did thousands of years ago, to follow Jesus or not, to throw in our lot with this crazy plan that God has for us or not. We have those same thoughts. Is this really the path to life? Is this really going to bring life? Is this going to work out? Sometimes it really doesn't feel like it. Sometimes like Peter, we can't join the dots. We can't join the dots and see where God is moving us. We can't see the divine in the mundane of our day to day. And in those moments, we might feel abandoned, embarrassed, hurt. 
Sometimes it is obvious. Um, four years ago, we uh, packed up our place in Tower and moved out to Lyle Bay, not really know, knowing what we were doing. Um, and we had a baby on the way, um, so we moved to Lyle Bay two weeks before my daughter was born. Um, which sounds fine until you have a baby, and then everyone who's had a baby will probably be thinking, two weeks before your daughter's born is not a good time. <laughs> not a good time to pack up your house and um, move out with the hippies in Lyle Bay. Um, that's, that's probably not a good idea. Um, we were literally leaving behind our white picket fence <laughs> to live in community um, and try to follow this path that we believe Jesus has set before us. Um, and it would have been totally rational to be tempted with a bit of a worldly view on things and go, this is not a good time for us. This is not the right time. We just want a solid start for our family and our baby. It would be rational to put it off or not to go. But we stepped out because we knew that if, if we were called to this thing, and we really believed we were, um, we, the door had opened and we had promised that we would step through. And then the door opened and we did um, because we knew that to not do that would be to um, lose something of ourselves, right? What would it gain us to gain the whole world, but forfeit ourselves, forfeit something of ourselves in the process? And we, and we did it, and we leaned into God and found so much support and love from that community. Like, there was always someone around willing to hold our kid when we hadn't slept for 48 hours and just need a shower. There was always a meal for us. There was always someone who was speaking truth into our lives. Um, it was just so obvious that God was in that, that there was life there, and that we'd followed. Um, but we don't choose when or even whether we'll see what the sacrifice was for. We can choose whether we walk the past that um, Christians have for thousands of years now, um, where God promises we'll find life. John Piper says, we can't fight God and make him bless us, but we can fight to walk on the paths where he promises his blessing. Um, and that's what Lent does, right? That's what Lent does to us if we engage with it. Lent does in its own little way prompt us to lean into that discomfort. To lean into those times where there is a cost to doing this thing. To lean into that way of Jesus, into that mystery that as we surrender our lives, we gain them. As we lose our lives, we find them. Will we, eyes open to the cost, throw in our lot with Jesus, knowing that he walked that path first? showed us what it was to love and gave up everything of who he was to redeem us so that we could do the same. Will we, eyes open to the cost, throw in our lot with Jesus, knowing that he walked the path first, showing us what it was to love and gave up everything of who he was to redeem us so that we could do the same. Um, just as we close, um, as the, the worship team kind of gets um, set up, um, maybe we'll, we'll reflect for a little while on, uh, I guess, three questions. Um, like Peter, where are we fighting to reframe the truth because the world is telling us it's madness? 
Where are we fighting to reframe the truth? Because the world is telling us it's madness. Like the disciples that didn't stick around and didn't get names. (laughs) Where are we turning our back on the difficult parts of the way of Jesus? Will we allow ourselves to choose the path to life even when it doesn't make sense? So that's three. Like Peter, where are we fighting to reframe the truth? Like the disciples that didn't stick around, where are we turning our back on the difficult parts of the way? And will we allow ourselves to choose the path to life even when it doesn't make sense to us?